today. Rock City Church turns seven years old. Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah. Woo. Seven years old. And it's hard to believe what all has happened in the last seven years. And now we're poised for some incredible things as we enter into the eighth year. For those of you that have not heard the story of Rock City Church, I'm going to share a little bit of it. And then I'm going to ask my wife to come up and uh, just say a little bit from her heart. Um, you know, when I first moved to Corpus Christi, I had a really, really, really hard time being here. I did not want to come to Corpus Christi. And when I got here, I just absolutely hated it. I hated it. I had come from Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I went to Oral Roberts University, and I loved it there. I had a wakeboard boat on Lake Skyatook, and I had built deep, 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 deep relationships. I had been at my church for over 10 years. I had youth pastored there for over five years. I had built a ministry school. I was very close to my pastors, Joel and Linda Budd, who I'm extremely thankful for at Open Bible Fellowship, now called Rivergate Church. And really, they propelled and launched me into what God wanted to do here in Corpus Christi. I did not want to come to Corpus. I was very happy where I was. And I always thought that when God called me out of Corpus Christi, he was going to take me to Miami, Florida. My vision had always been for Miami, Florida. I was sure that that's where God was going to have me go. And when I finally said yes to go to Miami, the Lord hijacked me, arrested me, twisted my arm behind my back and said, ah, you're actually going to Corpus Christi, Texas. I didn't know where Corpus Christi was, and when I got here, uh, I really had a hard time because everybody that I met complained about the city. I, you know, I would tell people that I moved here, and they'd say, why would you ever come to Corpus Christi? The armpit of Texas, they would call it. Why would you ever come here, you know? And uh, I said, well, I'm not really sure why the Lord has me here, but I know that he called me here. And when I came to Corpus Christi, I actually was working. I took a job that I did not want to take, but God arrested me on that. Uh, to work for a mega church pastor out of Oklahoma City. He was uh, buying out a church here at Lantana and I-37 called South Coast, which would later become Victory South Coast. And it was a video satellite church. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was pastor a video satellite church. The worship was 18 minutes. I had two minutes to, to make announcements, two minutes for the offering, 35 minutes for the message, and about five to seven minutes for the altar call. Everything was timed. We had to catch into a live feed with just a few minutes of a buffer. You, there was no spontaneity. Everything was orchestrated with perfect timing, and services were about an hour and 15 minutes. Can you imagine that? For me, it was really, really hard. But the Lord used it, and the Lord was in it. So I did not want to come, and the Lord even told me that he was, he was putting me into that system so that I could really learn the excellent dynamic of that component, but also learn what not to do. It was very corporate. It was very structured. I had a non-resident senior pastor, and it was extremely, extremely hard for me. The most difficult thing for me in coming to Corpus Christi, number one at the top, was the fact that I got here, and there was no good coffee. I really, really had a hard time. I was, you know, I spent every day at my good friend Tor Nordstrom's uh, coffee shop, Nordagio's Coffee in Tulsa, and we had community and relationships and family and friends, and er so much life revolved around the coffee shop. And then I enjoyed my afternoon macchiato every day. The second hardest thing for me wasn't just so much the coffee. It was even more so or just as much the fact that I couldn't find good community. I didn't really, I couldn't find a place where people congregated and hung out and a place we could go to get to know each other. And it was really, really hard for me. And so the pastor asked me, what's the first thing you want to do to turn the church around? And I said, well, the first thing I want to do is start a coffee cart in the lobby. And he said, that's it? I said, yeah, that's it. 
He said, how much money do you need? I said, I need about $25,000. He said, $25,000? Are you building an espresso machine out of diamonds or gold? I said, no, but I need really good equipment to make the kind of coffee that I want to make. He said, can't you just get a coffee cart and a few urns and proudly brew Starbucks? I said, not a chance. And so he said, okay. And uh, it was pretty funny because when I rolled into town to, to take over this church, when I said yes to the call that God had, and when this pastor said yes, I rolled into town and I was driving a 99 convertible silver SS Camaro. I had long hair and earrings and I was single. And I'm taking over this church as the campus pastor. There were about 30 to 40 people there at that time. And uh, those people kind of looked at me a little bit funny when I first rolled into town. But they trusted me, and they stuck with me, and they loved really, really, really well. And it's crazy to think about. That was actually 13, a little over 13 years ago. That was 2006, August of 2006, when I first rolled into town. And that church had been through a lot. It had been through a lot of hard times. The church, that property, 10 acres of property, was in foreclosure. And so the pastor from Oklahoma was rescuing that church, and uh, through a, a divine through divine revelation, that pastor decided to hire me. I didn't even come from his church. I had come from a super charismatic church. It was Holy Ghost dog piles and fire tunnels. And I mean, it was wild. It was way more extreme than even we are now. And uh, I roll into town. I roll into this church. And this pastor took a chance on me. There were a lot of divine orchestrations of how that pastor decided to hire me, which I won't tell that whole story now. But I rolled in and we started the coffee cafe, and we started the church, and I started getting connected with a young adult ministry then and still now called The Net. I was very close with Pastor Glenn Holland. Josh Holland's become one of my best friends. He and his wife serve here, and we've been friends ever since then. And, uh, you know, we started the coffee cafe, and we started making traditional macchiatos. And uh, shortly after that, this really beautiful young girl walked into the church, and she was a real mess. And I was like, she needs some laying on a hands ministry right now. And I did an altar call, laid hands on her. We were married the next day. No, it didn't quite go like that. But in my mind, that's how, how it went. And I met Amber. And uh, we dated on and off. I was waiting for her to get her life together. She finally got it together. And I said, yes. I mean, it just, it was... No, it didn't go at all down like that. But, but I like to tell that story. And so she'll come up here in just a moment because I'm going to bring her in to talk about how we started the church together and what was on her mind during that time. And um, so the church just blew up. It grew from about 30, 40 people to 100 people, 200, 300, 400 people. And then over the course of time, the recession hit in 2008 and 2009, and we lost some people. And overall, it hovered right around 225 to 300 people, give or take. And it was really hard for me. It was hard doing the video church. It was hard being a hired facilitator. It was hard in that system. There wasn't a lot of supernatural activity happening. But God was teaching me a lot. And more than that, he was building an incredible family. If you were here when I first got to town and are still here to this day, a little over 13 years ago, would you stand up? If you were part of Victory back in those days, let's give them a hand clap right now. Stay standing. Hey, stay standing.
I just want to say to each of you, thank you. There was a bunch of people that stood up for the last service. I'm not sure where the other 210 people have gone, but they're somewhere around here. Some people have come, some people have gone, but you all have stayed, and I want to say thank you so much. I remember when Kent rolled in with his then-wife on a Wednesday night off the bus, been smoking crack, and came up and confessed to smoking crack cocaine and all the hardships that he was going through. But here he is over 13 years later. Let's give Kent a hand clap. And the Calhouns, you guys have been with me through so much. You've been so faithful through so many years. I'm so thankful for you. But there's one couple here that's really pioneered legacy long before Rock City had ever, or long before even Victory South Coast existed. There was a Covenant City and there was a church on the rock. And there was a couple that have stood the test of time through multiple, multiple churches, the Rock, Covenant City, South Coast, Victory South Coast, and now Rock City Church. And that's Doug and Mary Feck right back here in the back. And I said this to y'all last service, but really Doug and Mary, yeah, give them a hand clap. They, they really deserve it. Thank you. Doug and Mary Fecht have been real pioneers. They're elders here. They lead the intercession ministry here. And really, they have stuck with me through everything, day one, the day that I got here. But they believe long in advance uh, for what is happening here now in this church. And I want to say to Doug and Mary, this is a part of your inheritance and your legacy and your reward for all that you've done. Thank you for never giving up. Thank you for giving of your time, your finances, your resources, your legacy, and your energy for many, 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 many years, even before I came to town. I love you both, and I want to say well done, good, and faithful servants. Thank you, guys. And so when I started that coffee cart, I recruited their daughters, Kayla, uh, in fact, at the time, Kayla Harden now, and Cora, Cora Johnson. Cora and Douglas Johnson were there at the church, and they said they'd be willing to lead the coffee cart, and they started the coffee cart together with me, and a short amount of time after that, they said, hey, do you want to start a coffee shop in Corpus Christi? And I said, I would love to, and they said, well, if we put the business plan together, I think we can get the money, and sure enough, we put a business plan together, and we started Coffee Waves Alameda uh, for the very first time in 2008, and then shortly after Coffee Waves Alameda started, I was looking at... Uh, uh, another business opportunity, and I want to tell you why. I was really having a hard time in Corpus Christi, and I was having a real hard time pastoring this video satellite church. In fact, I was pretty miserable. I was excited to be here, and I was excited to have met Amber and what God was doing in our lives, and we were dating on and off and figuring each other out and discovering a lot of things, uh, more so me. And, um, you know, Coffee Waves Alameda had taken off, but I was having a real hard time at the church, and I was having a hard time with Corpus Christi. I likened living in Tulsa, Oklahoma to sleeping in a nice, comfortable, white-down comforter. I likened living in Corpus Christi to sleeping in a prickly wool blanket. It was very uncomfortable for me. There were a lot of things that I didn't like. I grew up in Miami going to Great Beaches and the Gulf Stream and, and scuba diving in the Keys and the Bahamas. And, you know, I would go here to the beach, and I'd get tar stuck between my toes. You know, I just was really having a hard time. Uh, the people were negative, I felt like at the time. I, you know, I was having a hard time building relationships. All my closest friends were back in Tulsa, all the relationships that I had built. And I just felt like I really wasn't fitting in. And so I said, Lord, if you called me here, which I believe you did, you're going to have to give me a heart for the city. You're going to have to give me a heart for this place. And Lord began to speak to me and he said, son, I always call people to places that are desolate and have a lot of sin. 
I always call people to places that are broken because my pattern is to bring life and a fruitful plane to the places that were desolate. You know, that's what God does in your life. When you come to Jesus, mark my words. If you say, I'm going to give my life to the Lord, I'm going to be serious, and God, do whatever you want to do, I'm giving my life to you, the first thing that the Lord does is he comes like a wrecking ball to tear down and to prune and to uh, remove things out of your life that are unhealthy so that he can build you the right way. There's always first a dying process before there's a resurrection process. And what was happening to me was a dying process. You know, think about, like, we just bought a little over three acres of land here in Flower Bluff. And when we first got to this property, and even now, the first thing that has to happen is a tearing down and a rebuilding. You know, the, it needed a new septic. It needed new electrical uh, up, um, service. It needed new sewer. It needed all kinds of shiftings and changings and fence lines and old corrals ripped out. And you're coming in and you tear out all this old stuff before you build something new. And that's what God was doing in my life, and that's what God does in all of our lives. And that's what God's doing in Corpus Christi, Texas, or wherever it is that you live. Is God uses us to bring hope and life and promise to desolate places. Where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And I know some of you are having a very, very hard time with the city or wherever it is that you live. But God says if you'll pray for the place that you live, he'll actually turn it in to a fruitful garden. And I know you would love to live in a city that has a ton of money that's managed really well with no government, crazy bureaucracy, and, you know, no gang violence and no crime and lots of pride. And all the streets are manicured really well with great landscaping. And there's lots of vision and lots of hope and lots of life in that city. And Tulsa was kind of like that for me. But you see, I never actually had a burning passion love for that city. There's a lot of cities that I could think of that I probably might like in the natural to live in more than here. But the thing is, is you could chase jobs and chase those kind of cities and still be miserable. And at the end of the day, I had all those really good things, but I didn't have a passion for where it was that I lived. And I had to get a fresh perspective that God actually was planning me somewhere to make a difference. And so when I couldn't find good coffee, we built a coffee shop. When I couldn't find good community, we built a place where there'd be community. And at the end of the day, when God decided to have that church shut down that I was a part of, God would say to my wife and I, build something you long to see. Not because everything else is broken, but because you want to pioneer something that's brand new. And so you always have to realize that God calls you to desolate places so that you can make them a fruitful plain. This property and this old farmhouse that we bought, it's nice, but we will make it much nicer. And that will come with ripping out and tearing out and rebuilding and replanting. Because wherever we go, we bring life. We're carriers of God's presence when you're born again. So you always bring life to the dark places. And so does Corpus Christi have a lot of darkness? Yes. But if God called you to it, you're going to see it for what it really is. And you're going to become the light to the darkness. You'll bring life to this place. And that's why wherever you go and whatever big decisions you make in life, you want to be intentional you want to be diligent, and you want to be spirit-led at all times. Because you can follow the money, and there's a lot of people that leave for money, and you can follow the better places, but I can assure you, you can be miserable there if you weren't spirit-led to be there, right? And so that's what was happening for me. And so I said, God, you got to give me a heart for this city. And then God began to speak to me that I gave you, I called you to Corpus Christi via the avenue of that church, and now the avenue of this church. 
we're called to something so much greater than ourselves, so much bigger than ourselves. And I had to see that for me to really be rested and to stay planted in the city and not give up. But I was so miserable. I was having a really, really hard time in this church. And so I started to concoct my plan B. And my plan B was if I got fired or it didn't work out in this church that I would go and start do another business. And the business that I was looking at to buy was a little hamburger restaurant on Alameda called Bull Chicks. Some of you may remember when it was over there where Irene's is right now. And so I was looking actively to buy that out. And then it fell through for various reasons. And one day, through a connection of somebody that I met at, at Victory South Coast, a really wealthy friend of mine uh, came up to me and said, I know that deal fa fell through. He said, why don't you start a Coffee Waves in Port Aransas? And I said, well, why don't you loan me the money? And he said, okay. And he loaned me $100,000. At 5% interest, which I have fully paid back. I've fully paid back. And that's how Coffee Waves out of uh, Port Aransas started. And, you know, it was a divine connection. Thank God I didn't give up. And there were many times I wanted to quit. And there were many times I thought about what my plan B would be. But you know what? God dealt with me and said, I don't ever want you to live with a plan B. There's no fallback in case something goes wrong. It's always God's plan A and trusting him no matter what happens. Because even if something went awry and went crazy, God, was, God would still lead you and guide you, correct you, and direct you if you would trust him. And so God would show me if I'd stay the course, it would really work out. And so during that time, I'm so thankful that I never gave up because in 2011, I finally made really the best decision of my life after Jesus. And that was to marry my wife, Amber. We've been married now for eight years, and Amber and I uh, really weren't sure what in the world was going to happen in our lives when we got married in September of 2011. But shortly after that, about six months later, we were pregnant with Cadence in the spring of 2012. And as soon as we found out that we were pregnant, we got the call from our last pastor that he would be shutting down Victory South Coast and releasing me. And the 225 people that were there. And I said, where are they going to go? He said, they can go wherever they want to go. But we're cutting you all loose and we're shutting down the church. And so Amber and I were sitting in our little beach house in Port Aransas, riding our fat tire bikes over to Roberts Point Park, watching the dolphin at sunset. We, were, we were lived one block from the coffee shop. We were drinking good coffee. She was finishing up school, just pregnant, just married. And we had this amazing life out in Port Aransas. I had a 15-foot Boston whaler that I would fish for, you know, we'd go out fishing for Spanish mackerel and kingfish right out the jetties. And we were just living our awesome, perfect little single or a no-kid life out in Port Aransas when we got the call and we had to make the decision of what we were going to do. Do we stay out there or do we start, do we continue on with the 225 people that we built deep relationships with? And we realized we could not live our life for ourselves. And as much as we love that life and I enjoy those things and we still do some of those things. And I believe one day we'll have another place back out in Port Aransas because we love it out there. And my coffee shop is still there. The longest running coffee shop voted Texas best coffee shop several years in a row by Texas Country Reporter. It's our little claim to fame. Always ranked in the top two or three spots on TripAdvisor. It is a phenomenal business that's built incredible, incredible life and sustainability for Port Aransas. It's very important to us, very special to us. And we knew that we couldn't just stay out there. 
especially with the 225 people that had plowed ground with us and stuck with us for so long. And so we made the decision together. Amber, why don't you make your way to come back around up over here? We made the decision together to start Rock City Church. And uh, we had the help with Prophet Kevin Leal. And we decided we'd start Rock City Church. And thank God, uh, we had looked at every place in town. And thank God for Julie Enderley, who found the spot at First Christian Church. I had told the Lord I never wanted to start a church in a cafeteria. And lo and behold, God put us in a cafeteria. And we started Rock City Church. We're going to need a microphone. We started Rock City Church in the Fellowship Hall of First Christian Church on December 9th, seven years ago to this day. Amber was mega prego. She was super pregnant, and she was in pain. Can you tell the story? Yeah, she was. Okay, okay, you tell the story. story. Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, wow, you get me up here, and he always tells the story that I'm ready to tell. Okay, got it. Anyway, anyway. I was major pregnant, that's correct. I was almost nine months pregnant, and we had found the fellowship hall, but it was just empty classrooms with nothing in it, and I was at that time the children's director. I I did children's ministry for seven years, and that's how we met because he was my boss. It was very awkward. (coughs) (laughs) That's a whole other story. I must have done something right, though. (laughs) I mean, I must have. Anyway, we got through that. There was a lot of learning and growth through that process. Um, So there were empty classrooms, and I was super prego. And I told the Lord, because at that time, I still was thinking that I was in control of my life and that, like, like he, I needed to tell him what the plan was. But it actually worked that time, by the grace of God. So I said to him, can you please let me set up these classrooms? Because if, if I don't set them up, then on the first Sunday, there will be nothing for the children. Please let me make it through the, just get these set up and make it through the first Sunday, and then I'll have cadence, okay? And um, it worked. So I set the classrooms up, stayed for a whole week, just from morning to night, got all the classrooms just perfect, and then made it to the first Sunday. And then how many days? Five days after. Five days after (laughs) cadence came into the world. So it was pretty awesome how it worked out. And so if anybody has been here through the process of, this last seven years, and and even people that have been with us since before then, when David and I were dating, you've seen so much growth in me <laughs> and in David, but a, a complete transformation in me. Uh, and even the seven years that we've been here, I felt like I was praying, like, what am I going to say about seven? I, I've always loved the number seven. Um, and I felt like the Lord said that, for so many years, I had a clenched fist of like, I'm going to hold on to my life. And for some reason, I thought I had like control and I thought I had the plan. And if I just do good things, if I make good choices, then nothing bad will happen, that whole thing. And I was my own God for my life. And I like to also pretend like I was the God for other people. And uh, then over the seven years, he completely, I, you know, I had a lot of death to self. And I just completely, I find myself, and I feel like the Lord told me, like, your seven means rest, and you're at complete rest. Not that I'm lazy and not doing anything, because that's extreme opposite of the season of my life right now. But in my spirit and in my heart, I have finally found rest. And I feel like that was the word for him, is that you're at rest, and because you finally surrendered it all, and really, I just don't care anymore. I don't know if you've noticed 
at all my change of life. <laughs> I just don't care. Like, I finally said yes to everything he wanted for me. I remember when Kevin Lill came the first time, and he's like, I see you preaching. I feel like you have a lot to say. And like, nope, not going to happen. I'm not <laughs> going to talk. Like, it won't happen. It's just not in my nature. I told him. He's like, meh. <laughs> like, he didn't even let me even think that. And then I remember he kept calling me out all the time, like, prophesy, do this. But I'm like, ah! um, and I remember I didn't speak or do a thing with the church for the first three or four years. Mm-hmm. I know that's hard to believe, but I was, I had two babies under two and I used that as a really good excuse to not need to be here and not need to lead and not be part of the planning or the staff meetings or anything. I was not involved at all. Hence, I painted the walls yellow. And that's what happens. I didn't do my job, and then I came, and the walls were bright. No, the doors were bright bright blue, and the walls were bright yellow. (laughs) And I was like, what happened? And then as you can see over time, you can see my involvement by the way the building revolves. Like, it evolves (laughs) as we start seeing grays and blacks and neutrals. Amber has came into the picture. Anyway, year of rest, that's what I want to say. I've, I've came to the place of just open hand, Lord, my life is yours. I'll, I'll speak, I'll preach, I'll do whatever. If It doesn't matter if I'm not good at it. It doesn't matter what you think. I'm just going to do it because the Lord has called me to. And I'm and very, very much involved these days. Um, I I'm at the staff meetings, and we make all the decisions together. So it's been a complete transformation for me. And I feel like the Lord was saying, in the next year, I think next year is going to be the busiest year we've had yet. And I know the staff members are like, what? Like, we live busy. But no, it's going to be the busiest in that. We're going to go full on for outreach for the city. We're going to expand the walls. We're going to have growth in here. Like, we're going to have, like, it's like... Next year, it's go time. But the significance is we're going to have the busiest season, but if we live the same way that I finally came to with open hands and at complete rest, because God rested on the seventh day, but that doesn't mean he didn't have a plan or a strategy or any forward thoughts. It didn't mean he just got lazy. Like It means in, in, like in spirit, he was at rest, and that's how we need to be in the next season. So. Amen. Yeah, so Amber and I made the decision together to start this church. I looked right at her and I said, you got to be all in on this thing because I don't want to do it together without you. And she said yes. And it's been a journey of discovery. It's been a journey of dying to ourselves because you're never going to find resurrection life until you die to yourself. There always comes a, there always has to be a death before there's a resurrection. There's always a tearing down before there's a building up. There's always an undoing before there's a redoing. And you have to understand that that's the constant process that God has for all of us. That's the pruning process. That's the laying your life down. So if you want to see newness of life and you want to see resurrection and power and strength and all those things, lay your lives down. And that's what we did. We laid it down for the call when we could have gone other directions and done a lot more coffee shops and invested our whole life into that career. We knew that God had something bigger and better for us. And so we started Rock City Church in the Fellowship Hall of First Christian Church, 
And every Sunday, there were these giant windows that we had not covered initially. We eventually covered them. But in the beginning, there were these huge windows all the way around the top of the fellowship hall at First Christian Church. And the sun, right about this time, from 9, you know, right around 9 o'clock in the morning till about now, would be really bright this direction. You all would be blinded out by the light, and I would be darkened out because we had no stage lights. We had a makeshift stage, and we had, believe it or not, even this sound system, which is not a very expensive sound system, which we're getting a whole new one for the build-out. But we just made it happen. Nothing fancy, no major lights, blinded out by the sunlight, whatever. But God's presence showed up so powerfully and so mighty. And that first Sunday on December 9th, the 225 people showed up. And uh, if you have been with us since the fellowship hall days, would you stand up? If you were part of the fellowship hall, would you stand up? Thank you guys so much for sticking with us all this time. You can be seated. And so we met in that fellowship hall for 14 months. And about the seventh month into that process, I went to First Christian Church and I asked them if they would renew our lease. It was working out. You know, we wanted to make the Fellowship Hall more of a sanctuary feel. And so we were putting, you know, signs over the windows or big, big banners over the windows and we were going to make it more of a home and just go ahead and plan ourselves there because we really didn't know where else we were going to go. We only had $20,000 in the bank, and our rent there was only $2,000 a month. We were like, okay, you know, we're seven months old. Let's go another year. And so I went to First Christian Church and asked them if they would renew our lease, and they said no. They said that they didn't want us there anymore. They'd gotten a new pastor, and they wanted to take back over their fellowship hall and that we were going to have to find a new place to go. And so that morning, I preached a message titled, God Will Build Us a House. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you here in just a moment. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I talked about how we think we're building God something, but really it's the Lord building us something for his name's sake and because he loves you and the people to come so much. And that God would actually do something great for us and we needed to not worry. And I preached that message and we all got fired up in that fellowship hall. And I said, I don't know where we're going to go, but we're going to have to move from here. The next morning, I received a call from a commercial real estate property investor here in Corpus Christi. He called me up and he said, uh, somebody from your church talked to my pastor, and my pastor told me to call you. I said, well, who's your pastor? And he said, it's a man by the name, a real pioneer and father in this city that has done so much for Corpus Christi, a man by the name of Jack Carter. Jack Carter had started Annapolis Christian School and City Church, and Jack and I had become friends. And uh, when Jack heard that we were going to be church homeless, he directed this commercial real estate guy uh, to call me and help find us a new place. And so I said, okay. I said, What's, what are you thinking? He goes, well, I've got this perfect place for you. He said, it's in Flower Bluff in the old Hollywood video on Waldron Road and SPID. And I said, oh, we've already looked at that spot. We don't want to be in a shopping center. And I'm not sure we want to be in Flower Bluff either. And so he said, well, how many congregants do you have right now? I said, we have 225. And he said, well, do you plan to grow? I said, yeah, I'm sure we're going to grow. He goes, then you won't have any place to park anybody because there's nowhere to go in this whole town to park 225 people, and especially if you're going to grow, unless you're going to go out into the country like Church Unlimited did and build a church outside of town. And I said, well, we don't have that many. He goes, I figured you didn't. And you're not going to be able to get a loan from any bank 
to build something. I said, okay, you're right. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard to get a bank to loan a church of only seven months with $20,000 in the bank money to go build something. So I said, okay, you're right. I said, but we've already looked at that old Hollywood video, and we know that it's about 10,000 square feet. It's a twenty-five triple net because it's on SPID. I said, we're never going to be able to afford twelve dollars to $15,000 a month to, to manage that kind of place. He goes, well, he says, I already know that. He said, uh, but it's also not for lease. You have to buy it, and you have to buy the whole shopping center. I said, I have to buy the whole shopping center? He goes, yep. I said, how much is it? He said, it's $2.8 million. I said, well, you already know I can't get a loan, and it's $2.8 million. I said, there's no one to be able to buy that. He goes, we know that. That's why we're going to owner finance it to you. I said, you're going to owner finance the shopping center to you? He, he says, yep, that's exactly right. I said, okay, at what interest rate? He said, 6.8%. He said, the best you're going to get from a bank's 5%. He said, to get an owner financing on the shopping center for 6.8% is a pretty good deal. I said, okay. I said, well, are you overcharging us for the shopping center? Like, is it worth 1.5? You're going to make a million dollars? He goes, nope. He said, we're going to make money. He said, but it's $70 a square foot for 40,000 square feet. He said, you can't build anything in this town for $70 a square foot. And the shopping center right next to you just sold for $110 a square foot. I said, okay. And in my mind, I'm trying to think of, What's the catch? Like, I'm trying to think to myself, why shouldn't this deal happen? I mean, it seems almost too good to be true. And so I said to myself, well, what are we going to have to put down? You know, even if I had to put down 5% or 2% at $2.8 million, I wouldn't have that kind of money. He goes, we're not going to require you to put anything down. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really, really strange. And then I said to him, I said, well... What's the monthly mortgage going to be? He says it's going to be $21,500 a month. I said, I'm never going to be able to afford that. He goes, we know. But there are eight businesses that pay the shopping center rent at $13,500 a month. You're only going to spend about $7,000, dollars $7 to $8,000 for about twenty to 30,000 square feet because at the time Dollar General said that they were going to move out. And I said, why are you doing this? Like, what's the catch? And he said, there is no catch. He said, for years and years and years, I was the shadiest real estate investor in town. He used to own all the bars downtown. He owns a lot of the buildings downtown. He said, I had a very bad reputation, but I gave my life to the Lord. And when my pastor tells me to find somebody at church, I listen. And he said, I want to make right for what I did for all those years. And I want to help people just like you. And I said, when do I sign? It was just that easy. I signed up, gave a $600 check at closing, and we bought this shopping center, and we took the risk, and we took the chance. Now, we had to do this entire build-out all on our own. They gave us three months with no payments towards the mortgage, and uh, we, it, it needed a whole new roof, and he told me that at the time. He said, another thing is you're going to need to put on a new roof, and you're going to have to pay for that, and you guys are going to have to do all your own build-out. And our church, in three and a half months, the 225 people that were in that fellowship hall we all together raised $250,000, and we built this church debt-free with no bank loans or anything. Archer stepped up to the plate, and we built all this debt-free. Isn't that awesome? $250,000. And now, as you can see, 
Uh, we moved in in the spring, March of 2014 is when we moved in. And just now, we just finished, almost five years later, we just paid for the roof, as you know, this church together, $370,000, debt-free, no loan, paid off. Isn't that awesome? And I would like to say again, thank you to Joe Hintz from J&H General Contracting, who donated all of his time, labor, and the materials to build us three brand new classrooms that will open up at the New Year's Conference. I want to say publicly, thank you so much to Joe. Let's give him a hand clap. We recently got a call from one of my, clo one of my closest friends who passed away, his brother, out of New York, my very, very good friend, Clinton Kennett, passed away this last year. He's the one that did all of our back-of-the-house sound system and sold us our original soundboard. He was a friend that I knew from Oral Roberts University. He passed away. Several months ago, his brother called me and said, hey, listen, Clinton had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment to do entire stadiums, churches five times over, scaffolding, lighting, the whole shebang for entire stadiums. And he said, it's been in storage that we've been paying for, and we would like to give it to you in Corpus Christi. We're getting hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment, our entire sound system, and more donated to us that we'll be sending two semi-trucks to New York in the next month to pick it all up. Let's just rejoice for what the Lord's doing in our lives. Yeah! And so God is building his house. God is building his house, and he's doing it his way. And, you know, I want to use that as an opportunity to segue into a short message for you this morning. So many times we think that we're going to build God something, but God is so big that he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. For us to think that we're actually going to build God something is kind of a crazy thought when he's created the entire universe and everything that we see. Now, I do teach you that it's important that we're putting the kingdom first and that we're willing to build God's house first so that he can take care of us. And I firmly believe that. And I'm going to show you scripturally why that's important to me here in just a moment. But in the seventh month when I asked the first Christian church to renew our lease, they said no. And then I had to make a decision. And I preached this message out of 2 Samuel 7, which I'm going to show you here in just a moment. That God would build us a house and we would not have to be worried. And we, if we would just trust him and stay in position and honor him, he would do the rest. And I want to read this chapter, a little bit of this chapter to you. And it's every bit as much applicable today as it was then. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? Now, this isn't really a question like, really, are you really going to do it? This is more like, are you crazy to think that you're actually going to build me a house to dwell in? Look at the next verse. For I've not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt. 
even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I've moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Let's pause right there. Let me paraphrase it for you. The Lord is really saying this to David. Don't you think if I wanted a house, I would have built one for myself? Or wait a minute, don't you think that with all these great patriarchs and pioneers that went before you, that I couldn't have had one of them actually build me a house? You think that you're so great and powerful that you're actually going to build me a house? I could have easily built my own house. Now, look at the next scripture. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to watch this process. Watch what the Lord, how the Lord responds to David. He says, you think you're going to do something great, but I don't want you to ever forget all the great things that I have done for you. I want you to see how many times the Lord says to David, look what I did for you. He starts out by saying, I took you from the sheepfold. Next verse. From following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Let's pause there. Do any of you ever feel like you're just following sheep around? Do any of you ever feel like you're so insignificant that nobody sees or nobody's watching or you're just a part of, you're just kind of moving along doing your everyday mundane thing? Do you know that that's the place that God sees and watches the most and pulls you out from? God is coming to David and saying, you look, you think you're going to build me this great house, but don't you realize that every place you ever got in your life is because of what I did for you? You know, in all honesty, Amber and I really can't take any credit except we just said yes. We were just willing and obedient. But at the end of the day, every promotion came from God. And God sees you in the most little things that you think like God may not be watching or are insignificant or you're just following sheep around. Then those are the places that God looks for you to be faithful the most. You never, Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise small beginnings. I can't despise Victory South Coast. I can't despise how hard that was. I can't despise the fellowship hall in the cafeteria. You can't even despise moving into an old Hollywood video in a shopping center in Flower Bluff. But instead, you have to learn to be faithful wherever you're at because it's God that can take you up and out of it. Because when you're faithful with a little, he'll give you much. And so that's what God's saying to him. Don't you realize I'm the one that got you to where you're at? I'm the one that took you out of the field. I'm the one that took you out when you were following the sheep. And I'm going to make you a ruler over my people. Verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you've gone. And I cut off all your enemies from before you. And I have made your name great. Like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Let's pause there. When you don't chase after money, fame, and promotion, guess what happens? It'll chase after you. When you humble yourself, what will God do? He'll exalt you. Think about Jesus in Philippians 2. It says that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and came in the form of a man and became a servant, a bondservant to all men. And humbled himself even with obedience to the death on the cross. 
And because he was obedient to the cross, what did God do? He exalted him. There always has to be a dying of self before the exaltation and before the resurrection happens. And when you decide to be a man or a woman after God's own heart like David was, David wasn't sinless like Jesus was. But David, in the midst of brokenness and sin, made the decision to run hard after God in repentance and humility. Every time he humbled himself. He never made excuses. So you have to stop making excuses. And you also have to realize that even in your brokenness and in your frailty, God can raise you up and make you into something great. The weak things of the world confound the wise, the Bible says. Second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We literally confound the wise because if you think about it, how could God have ever used a little old crazy person just like you? So jacked up and so messed up or so far, whatever it is. But God makes a great story out of the weak, broken things of this world. And that's what he would do with David. And so he says to David that I'm going to make you great. So I'm not chasing after Instagram followers and social media followers and fame and glory and to make my name known because it's not about Amber or I. If I were to die tomorrow, which I don't believe that I will, but if I did, we just took out a $1 million life insurance policy for, on my life for this church. I want you to know that. A million dollars, right? Off, if I die anytime soon, which I don't believe will happen, but if it did happen, this vision has to continue. And it can't continue if it's all about me. Now I'm setting the course and the platform and the foundation and the trajectory of where we're going. But at the end of the day, I can't be the one always up in this pulpit and preaching and doing it all. And Jesus didn't do it all. In three years, he raised up 12 disciples, empowered them, and sent them to do the work. And the next generation is going to be coming up behind us. And they're the ones that are going to take this even further and farther than where we could ever go. But it can't die. And it, the vision has to be strong. Let's pause for just a moment and pull up the slide of what's the vision for the church. You know, when Amber and I started this church, I knew we had to have a vision. And what I wanted to do, like, you know the name I actually really wanted to call this church in the beginning? The Authentic Church. I liked that name. But I figured some people might think it's a little too haughty and arrogant it's like my when i started coffee the coffee shop you know what i really wanted to call it in the beginning coffee snobs because we are real coffee snobs it's bad i'm telling you it's bad bad like you can't drink coffee anywhere you go it's like man But you can see our vision, and our vision at Rock City Church first starts with reflecting Christ. If we're not an accurate reflection of Christ, which requires us to be beholding him all the time. That's why intimacy and secret place and identity, you've got to be able to be an accurate reflection of who he is, or it's pointless of why we're doing what we're doing. That has to come first. Reflecting Christ is something I want people to experience when they walk in here. Do people feel and see Jesus when they walk into Rock City Church? When you hear me preach or see me or see my wife or see the leaders, do you see Jesus? Are people being accurate reflections of Christ? Because if not, we have broken marriages. We have a church going through the motions. If all of us will behold him and become like him, we will reflect him and we'll have a lot less issues in God's house. 
Now, people will bring them in, but the culture will be so strong that our strength and reflection of Christ will bring healing to their issues. That's how that works. So reflecting Christ is first, and then comes equipping the family. You know, I, we wrote this seven years ago, not even really understanding what real family looks like. And I've talked about that already. Family is paramount. The father's looking for a family. People are fatherless. They're, they have broken families everywhere outside of these walls. Some of you do. And that's why you're here. And they're going to keep coming so that you can get stronger, so that they can get stronger, and so we can have an accurate ref- reflection of the Father's heart, which is why gay marriage is a direct assault on the covenant promises of God and family. I'm just telling you. Homosexuality is a direct assault on the nature and character of who God is in the Father's heart. It doesn't mean I don't love gay people and homos- and we have... Gay couples that visit in here, many times you won't know who they were, and sometimes you will. And hopefully they know that I love them really, really, really well. And I don't bash them, and I don't beat them up, but I will make sure you all really clearly understand that gay marriage and homosexuality is a direct assault on the covenant promises of God. Because there can't be any reproduction of life in sons and daughters in the context of a mother and a father which is inside the heart of God. Equally, the natures of man and woman are inside the heart of God. Yeah! Woo! You have to understand that. It has nothing to do with hate. I'm not a hate preacher. I don't hate them. I love them even in the midst of their sin. And I believe that even in the midst of homosexuality, they can find Jesus and be transformed. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of stories online of people that lived a gay lifestyle that got revelation, got born again, and have come out of it. There, it's everywhere if you'll look for it. People are coming out of the LGBTQ community left and right. And there's a big community here in Corpus Christi. And I want to show them that I love them and I care about them and I don't hate them. But they need Jesus. And yeah, regular heterosexual couples that are living together need Jesus and need to get it right. Because if you shack up, you crack up. And I could line up from wall to wall couples in this church that started coming here living together in sin. We loved them so well they got convicted And then I officiated their wedding. Yeah, it's awesome. One day I'm going to line them all up. There's a whole lot of them here. So if that's you, you better get ready. I'm going to line you up. But there's, in this day and age, there's an incredible direct assault on family. I mean, it's, and, and the enemy's working on overtime to tear down our marriages. And you know how God really rescued my marriage? Because in the beginning days, it was hard, hard for the both of us. You know how God rescued my marriage? He said, you just need to die a little bit more. And I've been dying every day since then. My wife, my wife may not think so, but let me tell you. Whew, am I a dying man? But the benefits are awesome. And the beauty that I get, it's incredible. And I wouldn't trade my wife or my life for anything. It's hard. Sure, marriage can be hard. But I can't try to fix or change, Amber. God's the one that's done everything. Everything that's happened in my wife has solely been divinely because of the Lord, but also because I wasn't trying to make her into something else. That had to die in me early on. That's why we dated on and off for five years, because it was my own issues and my own preconceived ideas of who she had to be. And it was in me loving her really well and doing... and supporting her and propelling her and doing the best that I knew how to do that God stepped in and ultimately transformed her life. And that's a word for so many of you in your own marriages. Be like Jesus. Get on the cross. 
whatever it takes and lay your life down for your bride. It's Ephesians 5, 23, 24, 25, right in the word that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Period. Period. No conditions. So family, this has to be a family. The only way this is going to reproduce, the only way that this church will sustain its growth, the only way this church will be able to maintain thousands of people as it grows will be through family. Mothers and fathers, and that's going to be all y'all. And the hundreds of people, last service was completely packed. If you didn't see them all walking out, we had hardly any seats in here. And that's why we all play a part, you hear me? Every one of us plays a part. We all, we all are rowing this ship together as parents, serving, giving, our time, sacrifice, and our energies. So we want you equipped. Equipped how? How to love right, how to live right, and how to walk in the power of God. The supernatural has to be prevalent inside your family and in your home. Signs, wonders, dreams, miracles, baptism of fire, praying in tongues, dream interpretation, laying hands on the sick, busting out demons, praying for healing. And then being able to be normal, have normal conversations and not be so weird Christianese and, you know, can't even talk to you without you saying praise the Lord every two seconds and Jesus and, I mean, be normal. Now, if that was you, altar call right after here now. You're going to run up here and lay hands on you. You know, you ever met those really, really crazy religious people and you're like, can I just pull back the veil right now? Hello, where are you in there? All right. Next, there has to be advancement. It can't be us four and no more or us eight and no more. And you know who y'all are. No, it's okay to have eight, 10, 12. I don't care how many kids you have. My point is, is you can't, it just can't be your own family and no more. Wow. There has to be expansion and advancement. There has to be expansion and advancement. You cannot live your life under yourself. Now, don't, we don't sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry. Our family comes first, but God's family is a really close third. First Jesus and you, then you and your family, and then God's family. Before career, before money. I'm going to show it to you here in just a moment. Do I want you all to make a lot of money? Yes. We couldn't build or do anything we do if you all didn't give and you didn't make money. But the purpose of our jobs and our finances is to expand God's kingdom and to take care of people and bring healing and life. If you're a doctor, you have a gift to bring healing and life and to bring the kingdom into people's lives and hearts. And to use the finances and resources God gives you to fuel and advance the kingdom. There has to be advancement in every area of our... There has to be a greater vision. We have to teach our children about why taking care of the homeless is important to God. I've sent my daughter into the coffee shop to get breakfast sandwiches and feed the home. Literally walk up to somebody else. And my daughter will never forget that. She's talked about it nonstop of that time that she took care of that homeless. And now when we drive down the street, she's like, well, can we do something for them? We were pulling out of McDonald's and somebody hit me up for a cheeseburger right in the drive-thru. I said, yeah, stand right over there. I bought a cheeseburger. I gave it to my kids. And I said, you're going to hand it out the window and tell them Jesus loves you when you hand it out the window. There has to be 
an expansion and an advancement and a showing God's heartbeat to the hurting and the broken or will become an inbred church. And you know what happens when you have an inbred church? Your growth gets stunted. We need new families. We need new life. We need reproduction. That's why that if you're doing the kingdom right, it has to grow. It has to grow. And I'm not dogging churches to 25 or 50 people in small communities. But I'm telling you right now, if a tree's not growing, it's dying. And there has to be expansion and fire and fervency and reproductive power. You know why I'm so fired up? Yes, because of my kids and my wife and Jesus and his love and relationship. But I'm also so fired up because I'm militant to reproduce. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to give away the greatness of what God's given inside of me. And when I open up my mouth, fire comes out because there's a lamp inside of me and a wick that's burning with lots of oil. And if I don't get it out, I'm just going to become a big, fat, lazy Christian soaking in podcasts and books and worship and me, 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 me with my coffee by the water. Fat, 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 fat in the spirit. And you know what the Bible says about that? Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, meaning that I'm so in love that I got to give away what's God give. I'm a man on a mission, and so are you. Do you understand? And so then finally, it's love our community. I have a burning passion for Corpus Christi now. Honestly, I really don't even like to travel personally, just so that you know. I, we get invited by multiple ministries and organizations to go on mission trips now. From Paul Cole and Christian Men's Network to Rick Pino to uh, so many people. They went to Brad McClendon. Many people are inviting us now to the nations every year. And guess how many we're going to? Zero now. Partly because our kids are young, but more so we're building a house. It's not time for us to go for us personally. I love my city. This is my city. That's my H-E-B. That ain't your H-E-B. That's my H-E-B. And I prophesied many times inside that. Let me just tell you about that produce section. Does you work in the produce? Who is it that works in the produce section that's going here to this church? Millie, where's she at? She was at the first service. We got a Rock City congregant working the produce section. Let me tell you, that produce section's on fire right now over there. You, if you want a ministry outlet, just go hang, mill around, like squeeze every avocado while you look the other direction and prophesy over somebody. You know what you need to do. Squeezing those avocados. All right. Let's go another direction with that. Wow, my mind just went a whole nother direction. <laughs> Give me the spirit of Solomon, Lord. I want to. Spirit of Solomon. Yeah. All right. Love our community. Ask the Lord to give you a heart for your city. You're not here by chance. And I know some of you are having a real hard time, but. God will call you to the places like this to bring life and healing. We're called to be lights in darkness. Find some darkness and go shine. Seriously, get healthy so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. You know, when I came out of the Grateful Dead and drugs and party lifestyle, it took me a good long while to really get healthy enough to where I could actually be around it and not be influenced by it. 
So know where you're at and then find some darkness and be the light of the world. And love our community. Let's go back to the scripture. Wherever I was. Verse 9. So God will make us great. He's the only one that could do it. We have church lordship. This isn't my deal. It's his deal. It's decentralized leadership. Everybody say decentralized leadership. You know what that means? It's not top down. It's bottom up. So I know y'all want me all the time and you want me meetings and the pastor this and, and I know you love me and I love you, but it can't be all about Amber and I. That's why we've got to get people in positions and y'all in places so that y'all can be the hands and feet of this church so that you guys can do the work of the ministry. It's a normal process and then God raises you up and gives you greater authority and power. Verse 10. Moreover, I'll appoint a place for my people, Israel. Now we're going to put Rock City in here. Okay? Now, I love all this about Israel. We love Israel deeply and it's God's original chosen people we're grafted in and his chosen place is Jerusalem and the nation and that's that on earth is where he's coming back to and if you've never been to Israel we're going to plan a trip together as a church to go there maybe next year all right all right maybe we got to build this house but I think we need to get to Israel I really do so I'll appoint a place for my people rock city and I'll put plant them you know, our take root is our new membership class. It's called take root because you got to take root and be planted. Be planted where you're at. It's a sacrifice. I get it. We're busy. I get it. But you've got to make sacrifices to serve and give of your time and your resources, and your energy, because people need to be planted here. And God's building us a house. Why? So that we would dwell in a place of our own and move no more. You know, you can't say to a new family of eight, hey, Thank you guys for coming, but we're out of space and we're out of room. We love you. You need to probably go a block down to New Life Church. And I'm thankful for New Life Church. I know that pastor. I know Pastor Faylar. I'm thankful for all the other churches in this town. It's not going to be one church that's going to be able to transform this city. We need all the churches of this city, and we need them to flame on and to be fired up. Now, I personally think this is the greatest church on the planet, and I love you all, and I'm super biased about our church, but I love them. And I, every month for the last three years, I've been meeting with pastors from different denominations at a pastor's meeting that I host at the coffee shop. And they, they have a lot of doctrinal differences, but we have the most important thing in common. His name's Jesus. And we would be silly to, to pray for revival here and not there or in our city and think that it's going to be all about us. And it's not. I want God to pour out his spirit on anyone and everyone that's hungry in this city. And so God says that he's going to give us a place, give us a home. And he says that wickedness won't oppress us anymore as previously. I'm really believing for that one, verse 11. And this is a scripture that I really wanted to point out to you this morning. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over uh, people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Let's everybody say this together. Say, Lord, make me a house. Now, this word for house, I want to teach it to you. You know what this word means? It means a royal dynasty. You know what a dynasty is? Does anybody know what a dynasty is? It's a, it's a generational legacy. It's hereditary. In the family line, they carry on the business or the work or the promise. So you can have dynasty and kingship 
in government, in business. But more importantly, God makes us a royal dynasty to carry on the promises made to Abraham. And now, let's keep reading. Watch this, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I'm actually going to set up your seed after you who will come from your body. And then look what he does. And I'll establish his kingdom. And then the Lord goes on to say that your sons and daughters will actually build. We'll get the blueprints, but they'll carry on the legacy. So if I die prematurely, which I don't believe I will, but if I did, I need the vision and the legacy to keep carrying on because it was about generations to, go, to come. And so we are a part of God's royal dynasty. Did you know that? Everybody say, I'm his royal dynasty. I'm his inheritance. And now we're going to pass that on to our children. And so David wouldn't build the house of the Lord. Who would? His son Solomon. Solomon would get the blueprints and carry on the promise. And so my attitude is this. Like the great men of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Like those great men of faith that would carry on the promise. Or that, I'm sorry, that did not fully see the promise. They would hand it off to us so that we could see it together. We're handing it off to our children so that we can see it together with them. Even if I pass or you pass before your children. So leave something great behind. And make it your priority to build the kingdom and to build God's house. That's a priority for Amber and I. And I'll leave you with this last scripture. It's uh. I think you're going to really like this. You know how I talk about all the time the kingdom needs to be first and God gives you your job as a tent-making thing and that when you build God's house, he'll build yours, right? Let me show you an awesome scripture for that. So Solomon would pick up the plans and he would build God's house. You know how long it, it took him to build the temple? Well, I'm going to show you. In, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38, it says in the 11th year, in the month of Bool. You know what Bool means? That is the eighth month. It means new beginnings, new promises. It means expansion. It, it means progress. It means advancement in the eighth. He says in that month, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. How long did it take Solomon to build it? Seven years. Seven years. But check this out. In the next verse, in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, it says, But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house. Whose house did Solomon build first? And it doesn't mean that you don't finish your house before you build God's house. The point I want you to see is that when David was in a palace thinking how I wish I could build God a house. God says, I'll give the plans to your son and he'll build, he'll actually build the house. And I'm actually, actually, I'm the one building you a house, he says, but I'm going to have Solomon build it. And Solomon would make the priority of building God's house more important than building his own house. Now, I'm not saying, you know, neglect your family and give all your money away here. What I'm saying is, I want you to catch this understanding that anything God gives you, it's for a purpose and a design. And what's most important? Because my kids are going to leave Amber and I one day. Now, I want to give them the best start and train a child in the way they should go so that they don't just depart. But they're going to go, and God's going to give me spiritual children, give us a spiritual legacy and inheritance. He's already doing that. And so for me, what's most important has always been building God's kingdom. We moved from 410 Waverly 
to 1333 Sandpiper and now to Waldron Road. And every step of the way, as we've been building God's house, he's been expanding our territory. And I want to make a promise to you. It's the way the kingdom works. When you put the kingdom of God first, it's Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. And Solomon knew it. And Solomon became the richest, wisest man to ever live on earth, except for Jesus. Right? So this morning... What I want to ask you to do is as we step into a new season, a new year, new promises, to make the decision to get planted and get committed and to give and to serve, to keep giving, to give from your treasuries, to give from your time, to give of your talents, to give of your finances. We all do it together. And we're going to build something together with the Lord where people can settle, find a namesake, and not be oppressed from wickedness anymore. That's what I want to see happen for you and those to come. Let's all stand. Now, I'm just going to pray over you, and I'm going to bless you as the pastor and as a father in this house and over your life. Just receive this. Father, I just thank you so much for this church. Thank you that you are building us a house. This is your church, Lord. And as we turn seven today, I thank you that this is going to be an incredible year of growth, expansion, and rest. People getting stronger in their homes and their marriages, children growing up in the way, being trained and equipped and learning and not departing. Lord, I ask that you would heal our land. We, we turn from wickedness and we look to you and we repent. We humble ourselves, Lord. We dedicate this house to you. We dedicate the new sanctuary already before it's even built to you. Lord, you gave us the shopping center. You put us in Corpus Christi for such a time as this. Have your way, Lord. And I bless all of you in your jobs and your finances. I bless all of you in your night's sleep, in the morning hours, when you wake. Everywhere you go and everything you do, at your work, at your school, with your friends, colleagues, co-workers, and every hard thing that you're facing, that you would trust the Lord and put him first and know that he will see you through and take care of you. The Lord is your provider. And I thank you, Lord God, for the story, how you got us here seven years later, how you brought Amber and I together, how you built this church and brought all the people that are here now. And Lord, we dedicate Rock City Church to you and the future to you, this altar that I'm walking on to you, our worship, our prayer, our service, we give to you. And I pray that everybody here would walk in more. I pray that you would be blessed in everything you put your hand to and that the Lord would make his face to shine upon you, that he would hedge you and keep you and secure you, that the Holy Spirit would convict you to make good choices, to not give yourself away in sin and to not compromise anymore but to love really, really, really well. I thank you for this family. I thank you, Lord, that people won't be alone anymore and that nobody would walk through this life alone. I pray, God, that you would awaken us with signs, wonders, and miracles, the power of your spirit, that we'd have encounters with you as we sit with you and sit at your feet. I pray, Lord, that we would flame on. Flame on, Rock City. Flame on. Be confident, be secure in who you are as sons and daughters. Raise up lots of mamas and papas 
elders in the house of God that will shepherd and lead and guide leaders, workers, volunteers, and those that will serve well. I thank you, Lord God, for comfort for anybody here that is going through a hard time that's been battling sin or addiction or fear or loneliness. I pray over every marriage that has been divided, and I pray for unity and healing over everybody's heart. I pray for the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be paramount at Rock City Church. And from that place, I know, Lord, you'll multiply us. Bring the hurting and the broken, the sick and the dying, the lost into this house, and may they find rest and find a home. Thank you so much, Lord, for bringing the money in that we need for the expansion, the sanctuary. Thank you for the sound system. Thank you for the classrooms. Thank you for the roof. Thank you, Lord, that there's money in savings. And thank you, Lord God, that we're blessed coming and going and in everything we put our hand to. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you for seven great years. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my children. And thank you, Lord, for the more to come. I bless every one of you. Be blessed. Be at peace. Be confident and secure. Walk in unity and just die now. In Jesus' name, amen.